All right, everybody, welcome back. I am Glenn McDorman, and this is ATOS, your dressed up like a bat speculative fiction book club podcast by Clay Temple Media. This episode, we're doing our first comic book in quite a while, and it is also our first foray into the world of mainstream superheroes. It's Batman. It's it's Batman, The Court of Owls. This was written by Scott Snyder and drawn by Greg Capullo. It's the first installment in a five-year run for this team, and it was published in 2011, or at least the individual issues were. I think the, the trade paperback that I read actually came out in 2012. And you chose this book. This is a book that won a recent Patreon poll, though it had come in second to powers quite a long time ago. But this time it beat out Ed Brubaker's weird detective story, Fatal, and also a Spider-Man book that only one person voted for. And the last time that Spider-Man book was on the ballot, it received zero votes. So let me say that I hear you. So, Batman. Everyone knows Batman, right? And uh, I think everyone loves Batman, too. Like a lot of people, I didn't originally encounter Batman in comics. My introduction to Batman was reruns of the Adam West TV show, which would come on after Cubs games in the summer. Uh, These were fine. I I don't actually think I ever watched one all the way through. It's just that I was usually building Legos while the game was on and didn't bother turning the TV off after the game until I'd finished building my my castle or my pirate ship or uh, occasional spaceship, too. So I think it's probably better to say that it was Tim Burton's film. That was my real introduction to Batman. I saw this in the theater when it came out. This was the the summer between fifth and sixth grade for me. And I was hooked from that moment on. And I'll I'll tell you, too, that I I did mostly listen to the Danny Elfman score to that film while I read this book. Uh, Highly recommend that. And after this, I I got into comics in general, Uh, not immediately, but about a year and a half later when I became friends with Brent Helt, who is, of course, now my co-host on Hanging Out with the Dream King, a Neil Gaiman podcast. Now, that was not the moment that I got into Sandman, though it was running by then. But I did get into a monthly Batman title called Legends of the Dark Knight. And I probably still have four years worth of single issues in a a box at my, my mother's house. And these stories really formed my image of Batman, though, of course, I've since gone on to read a good percentage of the Batman stories published since Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, and I also sometimes wear Batman chucks. But all of that is really to say that I had stopped reading Batman comics when I went off to grad school in 2009 and had to put all my stuff at my mom's house. But then I did hear an interview with Scott Snyder, probably on NPR, and I decided to get back into it, at least to to check out the work that he had done. And this was around 2015, I guess. And I binged my way through this entire run. It has made a real impression on me. So I've been looking forward to revisiting it. And so... On that note, let's do it. Let's get into Batman, the Court of Owls. Okay, so although Batman himself as a character clearly does not need any introduction to anyone, Batman comics may. Comics can be really confusing to people when they are first trying to get into them because they are an ongoing monthly magazine, a monthly magazine that in this case has been ongoing since 1939, for 80 years. So where do you start, right? That's the first question people have. But Another question that comes up is, is Batman in the comics literally 80 years old then? All of that is confusing. And even if you want to jump into Batman by reading collected storylines, it is still hard to know where to start because they don't usually come with numbers or with a reading order on the inside cover or something like that. I mean, even the Dragonlance books do that. 
But ultimately, none of that really matters because Batman's 80-year history is not a single continuous story. It's not a single continuity, though readers often have a lot of fun trying to make it into one. It's really more useful to think of Batman and Superman and, and so on as Arthurian knights or ancient Greek heroes, right? They're stock characters whom different writers can appropriate for their own stories. And so from author to author, the characters can be subtly different or have different attributes emphasized, might be another way to put it. And we can also get a dozen different versions of Batman's origin story. All of these stories can't be true at the same time, obviously, and they're not meant to be. So this version of Batman, Scott Snyder's version of Batman, is a new start. In fact, it's part of a new start for the entire DC universe called The New 52. This was essentially a reboot. Uh, DC officially ended its previous continuity, its uh, shared universe of characters, and started a new one and gave these characters a clean slate. And so this book, The Court of Owls, is the first installment in a brand new Batman continuity, uh, one that exists all on its own and doesn't connect with, or at least doesn't have to connect with, anything you know about Batman from earlier comics or, or other media in general. Now, that doesn't mean that Batman isn't Batman or that he isn't Bruce Wayne and that he doesn't live in Gotham. Those stock characteristics are, are all still here. And so are the, the cast of supporting characters in Batman's rogues gallery. But the stories will be new. And Snyder opens up his version of Batman in Media Res. Uh, I think for most of us, it would be hard not to start at the beginning with an origin story, or at least an early years story. And Snyder does eventually do an entire story arc about Bruce Wayne's first year as Batman. But that is not how his run begins. When this book opens, Bruce Wayne has been Batman for a long time already, and Dick Grayson, who was the original Robin, has grown up and become Nightwing, and there's a Red Robin character, and then a current Robin, you know, just plain Robin, who is Bruce Wayne's son, Damian Wayne. So he's been at this for a while already when this book opens. And by the way, we do see those characters in this book, but only briefly, and, and really only Dick Grayson will matter to the, the plot at all. So that's the last we'll talk of Batman's son. And if this is the first time you're hearing about Batman's son, well, it's an interesting story is what I'll say. It's a, a polarizing story, and, and maybe we can do that on the show sometime. Okay, so that is where we are. And as we jump into the middle of Batman's career, Gotham is a mess. And like any good Batman story, really like any good hard-boiled detective story, we might say, we open with the city before we even see Batman himself. And the very first panel of the book shows us a Gotham that is in serious decline. We get rats, homeless people around a garbage can fire, a closed-down movie theater. And we're told that the inhabitants of Gotham think of it as cursed or damned. And they associate the city with murder and madness. It's a, it's a powerful opening. And this is a theme that is carried throughout this book and really throughout the entire run. And the focus is on the role of Batman in Gotham and also the role of Bruce Wayne in Gotham. We'll take this up more in the next segment. And we see this in our very first glimpse of Bruce Wayne, where he's announcing that he is going to launch a revitalization program. And he's also interested in supporting an energetic candidate for mayor against the machine style politics that, that currently run Gotham. But all of this opening material is interrupted by the inciting incident, which is the discovery of an unidentified man who has been murdered in a particularly symbolic way and with a nearby message that Bruce Wayne is going to die tomorrow. 
And so Batman now leans into his persona as the world's greatest detective and tries to figure out who the victim was, who the killer is, and what the plan is. And there are some troubling elements here, and and Batman figures out that the victim was a trainer of assassins, basically, uh, and that he was probably killed by one of his own students. What's more, there is an owl symbol on the knives that killed him, but also the same symbol on a, a tooth in the victim's mouth. And this prompts the, the recollection of a local nursery rhyme, a, a kind of scary story that the kids of Gotham all know. And here's how it goes. Beware the court of owls that watches all the time, ruling Gotham from a shadowed perch behind granite and lime. They watch you at your hearth. They watch you in your bed. Speak not a whispered word of them, or they'll send the talon for your head. And this nursery rhyme is is meant to refer to some kind of secret society that's called the Court of Owls, which, hey, that's the name of this book, so it's probably important. But this is just a nursery rhyme. It doesn't mean anything, or at least that's what Batman keeps insisting to anyone who will listen to him. But the new mayoral candidate he's supporting, uh, supporting in his guise as Bruce Wayne anyway, uh, he thinks that the Court of Owls is real. And just as he's telling Bruce Wayne about this, uh, a bad guy tries to kill them both. And Bruce Wayne ends up falling from just about the very top of Wayne Tower, which is one of the tallest buildings in Gotham. And of course, this bad guy is the bad guy Batman's been looking for. And he's dressed a little bit like an owl and is obviously the talent mentioned in our nursery rhyme But still, there are mysteries, such as how did the Talon get into Wayne Tower undetected? And what Batman discovers is that there's a secret floor in Wayne Tower that has served as a nest for the Talon for a really long time. I mean, there's a a photo of people wearing owl masks from the 19th century in in this secret chamber here in Wayne Tower. Wayne Tower, and, and really... This is called Old Wayne Tower. This building was constructed in 1888 under the very careful supervision of Batman's great-great-grandfather, Alan Wayne, who died in mysterious circumstances. Uh, He drowned in the city's sewers. Uh, After his death, some of the family fortune was used to create a fund for architects to beautify Gotham's cityscape, and this award is given out every decade Naturally, when Batman checks it out, he discovers that there is a secret chamber for the Talon in each and every building that was commissioned by the Alan Wayne Foundation. And so it's time to look into the case of his mysterious death. Fortunately, there's Alfred, who is much older than Batman and who has the institutional memory of his own family, who have been butling for the Waynes for for generations. And so he knows that just before he died, Alan Wayne got super interested in and also super afraid of owls. So you can see where this is going. Uh, The Court of Owls is real, and they really do secretly run Gotham, and have been doing so since its foundation back in the 17th century. They do have an awesome assassin they send after anyone who gets in their way, and anyone who wants to try to steer Gotham in a direction that doesn't suit their purposes, you know, whatever those may be. And that is what happened to Alan Wayne, who wasn't in the club, but was trying to modernize Gotham and to ameliorate the negative effects of the Industrial Revolution. And now Bruce Wayne is trying to do something similar. So he has to die too. Batman has also figured out that the Court of Owls is located underground, and so he goes into the sewer system and the the subway system to find them. But they find him first and bring him to their lair, uh, what they call the Labyrinth. And that's precisely what it is. And and even though the Talon is still running around being awesome, uh, the plan is to let Batman just 
run around in this maze until he dies. And it's what they've done with lots of people in the past. And we can see that from the, the photos on the wall of people who have lived out their final weeks trapped here. There is some water in here. In fact, it's a great image of a, a white marble fountain in the shape of a giant owl. The water is drugged, of course, but Batman gets to a point where he has to have water, even though he knows there will be side effects. And he has some serious hallucinations that uh, we'll talk about in the next segment. Ultimately, though, Batman comes out of it and he fights the Talon and he kills him and he escaped. Uh, the plot ends here. I mean, it's really an act break as the, the plot's going to continue into the next volume, which is called City of Owls. But we do get some more story before we're done. First, the Talons. The Court of Owls has discovered a way to be immortal, or at least a way to restore life to someone who has died with his or her body still intact anyway. It's a metal called Electrum, and if you have enough of it in your bloodstream, you can be revived after death. You can be resurrected. And the way this works is that the Court of Owls gives you a tooth made of Electrum, and over the years, the, the metal will erode and get into your, your bloodstream, get into your system. This was the tooth that the murder victim at the start had. And it turns out that Dick Grayson, Nightwing, the, the original Robin, he has one too. Because before he was orphaned and became Batman's ward, he was secretly being prepared to be a talent. The second thing we learn is that the Court of Owls has a lot of these talents. They're all dead, waiting to be revived and sent on a mission. Uh, it's a horror story analog to cryogenic freezing, basically. And the court does revive them. It revives them to send them all out after Batman, whom they regard as an enemy, as, as a serious threat to their secret control over the city. And that's where we end. We end knowing that Batman and his family are going to have to take on an army of talents in the, the next volume. And so with the plot concluded, I think let's just zip right into our themes and motifs segment, where I really want to focus on the backdrop of this conflict between Bat and Owl. Although there are some exceptions, this book is overwhelmingly told from Batman's perspective. And this is because it's a detective story. The plot is a mystery, and we're just along for the ride while Batman tries to solve it. And what that means is that we don't really understand our villains. We don't really know what the Court of Owls is up to, though, as I recall, we do get that in the next installment. But here in this book, all we really know is that this secret society dates back to the city's foundation and that they view Batman and Bruce Wayne as threats to their ability to control the city from behind the scenes. We don't meet any of the court as individuals, right? They're all wearing owl masks, so we don't know who they are or what it really means to say that they control the, the city, right? What, what do they get out of that? Why do they have an army of zombie assassins to kill their rivals? Now, some of this is just superhero stuff, right? There's an army of zombie assassins for the same reason that there's a guy who dresses up as a bat. It's what the genre calls for. But it is also a metaphor for something that Snyder is concerned about. And really, we can say that it's something that Kane and Finger were concerned about as well when they invented Batman during the, the Great Depression. And that's the role of wealthy people in our society. And in this case, it's concern about their role in our local communities, right? Our towns and cities. We'll come back to how that informs the plot in just a moment. But let's detour through Batman's emotional arc in this story, because that too is concerned with this question. At its core, Batman's character arc is about his identity, right? It's about an identity crisis. Who is he? Who is Batman? Who is Bruce Wayne? And who were his parents and his other ancestors? From the start, the whole idea behind becoming Batman was to protect the people of Gotham, to protect them from being murdered in a robbery like his parents were. 
His solution to this problem is to take to the streets, to protect people in alleys, to, to chase people down after they've committed crimes, and to uh, take aggressive action to break up organized crime. And these are great stories, of course, but ultimately it's a silly idea because none of these actions deal with the systemic causes of crime. And that's where Bruce Wayne billionaire comes in. The, the story that Bruce Wayne tells about his family is that even though their wealth derives from standing atop a pyramid of economic exploitation, his family has a long history of giving back, a long history of using that wealth to help those who are still at or near the bottom of this pyramid. And we get this as a, a narrative voiceover from Batman himself when he's thinking about the history of Old Wayne Tower and how Alan Wayne thought of himself as the guardian of people coming to Gotham as part of the migration to America's cities. And the gargoyles on the tower are meant to be a symbol of that guardianship. And even after death, he left funds to make the city of Gotham a beautiful place. And it was by his order that the observation deck of Old Wayne Tower is open to the public for free every weekend. So they can enjoy the view and appreciate the architectural beauty of the city. And this guardianship, this is obviously at the core of what Batman does, but it's also at the core of what he is doing as Bruce Wayne when this book opens. Snyder has Bruce Wayne deliver a speech about his plans, a plan to revitalize Gotham's derelict industrial neighborhoods and to modernize and expand the public transit system. And these are not things that Wayne Enterprise is doing because there's profit to be made, but because Wayne Enterprises owes something to its community, because the, the Waynes have always taken on the self-appointed role of Gotham's guardian, and specifically as the guardians of Gotham's lower and middle classes, and, and the underclass too, we should say. It is the special purview of the Waynes among the wealthy elite of Gotham that they want to make sure that the city works for people outside of that handful of families and the, the high-level workers who serve their interests as, as lawyers and executives and so on. That's who Batman thinks he is, right? He thinks he is protecting Gotham, guarding Gotham in both capacities, and that this is his birthright. It's his special responsibility. But then he discovers that Alan Wayne was murdered by a secret society that claims to run Gotham behind the scenes. And he has to wonder if his own parents were murdered by this same organization rather than by a random mugger. And, and he's wondered this before, of course. And all of this shakes his sense of identity. It, it challenges his understanding of his place in Gotham society. Indeed, this is the hallucination that he has in the labyrinth, right? He sees his parents and they don't recognize him. And for a moment, he thinks they are real even, that he's neglected them all these years. And it's, it's really a harrowing experience as you read this. And look, Batman's going to be fine, right? He's going to win. And in the end, all will be restored. But he has to hit bottom first. And, and that's where we leave this story, with, with Batman's worldview totally shaken. And here's what he says to Dick Grayson, whom he raised as his own son after Dick's parents were killed, very much like his were. Uh, and I will, not, I will not do a Batman voice. <laughs> no one wants to hear me try that. You know, some nights, Dick, on patrol, I felt the city looking at me. I always thought it was watching over me, though, like a partner or even family. You asked me before what the court did to me. What they did was show me the truth, that the Gotham City I thought I knew, my city, doesn't really exist. They showed me that the real Gotham, the Gotham out there, is a city of birds, a city of owls. It's a stranger and an enemy. It always has been. So he's in a bad place here, and Dick Grayson, to his credit, is not going to let him wallow in his self-pity. They're going to get back out there, and they're going to keep working to make Gotham a good place. They're going to keep working to give back to the community that supports Wayne Enterprises and buys them all their cool crime-fighting toys. 
And this emotional journey, of course, this is the real heart of the story. But it also informs how we can make sense of the fact that the Court of Owls perceives both Batman and Bruce Wayne as a threat. What it comes down to is that this conflict is a kind of ideological battle about what the rich owe to their communities. On the one side, we have Batman slash Bruce Wayne, who believes that the rich ought to be paternalistic about the communities in which they live, that they ought to think of their poor and their middle-class neighbors as children they're supposed to protect, uh, protect and, and guard, and, and also guide. And of course, in this worldview, mostly they need protecting from each other, but they do also need protecting from other rich people, uh, from rich people who want to exploit them without protecting them. And that's the other side of this battle. That's the Court of Owls. Rich people who don't feel any guilt about living atop a system of exploitation and who unabashedly want to continue exploiting the mass of humanity as efficiently as possible, uh, to exploit up to the very threshold of a popular uprising, to exploit with as little bread and as few circuses as possible. And Bruce Wayne's rejection of this worldview makes him a threat to the Court of Owls, just like his great-grandfather was. And what makes him a threat is that he is going around publicly proclaiming the moral obligation that he and others of his class have toward the less fortunate, toward regular people. The worry is that people will come to expect that, and and then there will be public pressure for more bread and more circuses, or possibly even for more real, material, substantive benefits. In short, Bruce Wayne is offering hope, where the Court of Owls wants people to just accept their misery. There is, too, one other thing we should say about Batman's political ideology here, and that is that he believes in democracy. There's a really important moment here when Bruce Wayne refuses to contribute to a mayoral campaign or to endorse a candidate, and presumably the machine politics of Gotham are completely funded by the Court of Owls. So here again is an ideological divide. The rich have a moral obligation to support their community through a variety of projects, but have no right to use their wealth to influence government. All right, well, that is the big theme, the big motif for Batman, the Court of Owls, and it's all going to come to fruition in the next volume. And all of this really stems from the way that Snyder thinks about Batman's world, the, the, the way that he thinks about Gotham as a setting before he thinks about Batman as a character. And for me, this is a real strength of Snyder's storytelling, this focus on Gotham. Grounding characters in a complex and also morally gray urban setting is not just a hallmark of detective fiction. It's the very lifeblood of detective fiction. And that is, after all, the genesis of Batman, right? He got his start in a book called Detective Comics. And Snyder has brought us back to that pulp heritage of Batman, right? We've got the mean streets and we've got the corruption that goes all the way to the top. But he's also nailed the, the paladin as detective archetype as well. Batman is after his own holy grail of sorts, but he falters in his quest when he faces an opposition that's capable of challenging his very belief in the ability of the forces of good to win. And that is a hallmark of Arthurian romance as well. Let's look at even just the opening lines of the, the book, which are a, a narrative voiceover from Batman himself. And again, I'll spare you the Batman voice. Every Saturday, the Gotham Gazette includes a small lifestyles piece called Gotham Is. In the column, random Gothamites are asked to complete the sentence, Gotham Is, using three words or less. The Gazette has been running the Gotham Is column for years, ever since I was a boy. Here are some of the words used to describe Gotham the past few weeks. Damned. Cursed. Bedlam. Murderous. Gotham is villainous. Gotham is a losing game. Gotham is hopeless. And just these opening lines are enough to situate us in our speculative setting, to ground our protagonist in a real environment, and to impress us with the, the stakes of Batman's entire endeavor. It is awesome writing, awesome storytelling. 
But it's not just Snyder's prose and storytelling that bring Gotham to the fore of this book. Capullo's drawings add a lot to our impression of Gotham, as do the inking and coloring jobs of uh, Jonathan Glapian and uh, Francesco Placentia. I mean, this art is just gorgeous. And well, there are not any airships in this version of Gotham. I, th- I know that that's something people really love. Uh, no airships, but it does feel real and lived in in ways that some of the more fantastical versions of Gotham just don't. If you've been listening to the network for a while, then you know that it is our custom on Hanging Out with the Dream King to pick our favorite panel. And I love to do that here on ATOS too, whenever we do a comic book. But this is a really tough task with this book because it is all so awesome. Not just the cityscapes and the scenery, but the character work as well. In the end, though, I think I've settled on an image from Batman's imprisonment in the labyrinth that is going to be my favorite. And, and this is the room with the massive owl fountain, all done in a shining white marble. It's really just all gleaming under some lights from the ceiling. And at the bottom of this full page image is Batman. He's small. He's cowering. He's afraid of the owl, but, but also maybe afraid of the light while the owl looks on almost disinterestedly. And it is rare that we see Batman so small, so unheroic. And Capullo does a lot with just this one drawing to show us that Batman is shaken, shaken to his very core here at the climax of the story. Uh, Also, you know, I would just like to have this fountain in my neighborhood. I mean, it just looks awesome. And there are some fantastic covers, too. My favorite one is for issue three. The focus of this drawing is the owl-shaped cowl that the Talon wears, which includes a a pair of steampunk goggles that look like owl eyes. And in this image, a profile of Batman is reflected in each of those, those goggles, each of those lenses, because the Talon has Batman in his sights. But at the bottom of the page is a silhouette of the Gotham skyline done in in red, and and really it's done in dripping blood. And the whole thing is eerie and, and ominous, and I think the skyline of blood is an excellent encapsulation of the theme of this book. All right, well, we've done our themes and motifs, we've talked about some of the great strengths of this book, and I've picked out my favorite panel and my favorite cover. So that is going to bring my review to a close. I really enjoyed this book, and I would be excited to read the next installment as well if people are interested in it. And of course, there's a couple of mechanisms on Patreon for making that request. And if you're not already a patron, I I do hope that you'll become one. I hope you'll join us on patreon.com slash Media for dozens of bonus episodes, as well as a host of other benefits, including getting to vote in the ATOS polls and being able to nominate books for those polls as well. And while you're on the internet becoming a Patreon supporter, I hope that you'll visit the ATOS forum at claytemplemedia.com and talk with me about the themes and motifs and the the strengths and weaknesses that I focused on here, but uh, especially, as always, especially on what I left out. And if you're a big Batman fan, I would love to hear how you think this version of Batman and this version of Gotham compares to, to others. Is this your favorite? Is it your least favorite? How does it stack up? I'd love to have that conversation with you. But all right, that is going to do it for this episode. I'm Glenn McDorman. You can find me and all our other creative projects at claytemplemedia.com. On Twitter, I'm at GL McDorman, and the network is at claytemplemedia. Next time, we're going to be reading A Night in the Lonesome October by Roger Zelazny. But until then, until next time, I hope you'll remember that if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world.